Hello and welcome to another Substance on Substance. My name is Josh Morjo, a partner at Harley's BVI, and I'm joined today by Kerry Graziola, who is a director at Harley's Fiduciary and also the treasurer of the ARA, the Association of Registered Agents. Welcome, Kerry. Thanks very much, Josh. I'm excited to be here today. I'm sure. It's been a long time since we did one of these podcasts, and I was expecting to do this to announce to you that the third version of the ITA, the International Tax Authority's Economic Substance Rules, uh, version 3, was going to be ready and hot off the press. That has actually been delayed by the European Union, we understand, who are still reviewing some of the changes. And so we thought it would be helpful to do this session now to discuss some of the changes to the underlying legislation and to make clients aware of what they are facing for 2022 onwards. As listeners may be aware, there were various important updates in 2021 to the economic substance legislation and also the reporting regime which is set out in the Beneficial Ownership Secure Search System Act or the BOSS Act for short. Broadly, those brought limited partnerships without legal personality that are registered in the BVI within the economic substance regime for the first time, and also significantly expanded the economic substance reporting regime for financial periods beginning on or after the 1st of January of this year, 2022, which is why we thought it would be worthwhile discussing this now, even whilst we await the third version of the ITA's rules. The ITA also gave a presentation recently in the BVI, which Kerry and I attended, to the ARA to discuss the various changes, and so we thought it was timely as well to share the message from that presentation. So Kerry, what type of questions are we getting from clients at the moment on your side? I think at the moment, Josh, it's business as usual. These changes are obviously in effect right now from January 1st, 2022, as you said. But the reporting repercussions actually come into effect from the financial period ended this year. So I think we're going to see the vast majority of the questions coming in early 2022, up until the end of the reporting period. Partnerships, we have been getting quite a lot of questions relating to classification of partnership because they have come into scope, as you mentioned, and they have to go through the initial assessment of whether they are required to establish substance before they report it. So looking forward to the vast majority of questions in early 2023. Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks. I think just to recap for everybody the timelines that we're dealing with. So going to the first point of limited partnerships without separate legal personality being added to the regime. That change came into effect from the 1st of July 2021. So if you were forming a limited partnership of that type on or after that date, it was immediately potentially subject to the economic substance regime as a legal entity, and it would then need to determine whether or not it carries on any relevant activities under the regime, and if so, which ones, and then also consider its tax status to see if it qualifies for an exemption from economic substance requirements. Now, the good news is that the majority of those types of limited partnerships are actually formed as investment funds in the BVI, and one of the helpful changes we saw last year was an express carve-out, which confirms the understanding the industry already had, that investment fund business is not a relevant activity which means that the the practical impact of this change has actually been relatively light. As Kerry says, it's been business as usual. As we saw with pre-existing entities when the regime first came into effect, there was a six-month transitional period for limited partnerships without legal personality that were already formed on or before the 1st of July last year. That expired at the latest from the 1st of January this year, 2022, So all the pre-existing partnerships are now potentially in scope as well. 
Turning to the reporting regime, something which is not clear from the amended BOSS Act, but which is really important to, to note, is that that reporting regime only applies to financial periods that commenced on or after the 1st of January 2022. Most entities in the BVI, because of the transitional periods, actually have their financial period ending on the 29th of June each year. So as Kerry says, we're expecting to see the real impact of this starting later this year. But if you are dealing with entities where they have the financial period that started this year, it's well worth being aware of these changes. Kerry, have we had many questions around the reporting regime yet? What sort of uh, messages are we getting from clients? I think uh, a lot of the questions are to do with definitions, and I think it will be handy when we do have the third iteration of the rules, whether there are any further clarifications on some of the definitions. What is worth mentioning is that we have seen quite a large quantity of Section 11 requests, which is the mechanism by which the ITA can request further information from entities under the Economic Substance Act. We have seen a lot of those coming through from the ITA, really seeking further information, which I think has really led to the expansion of the Section 10 BOSS reporting requirements. A lot of the questions they've been asking are are really what we're going to go into when we look at the changes to the reporting regime. Thanks. So, yeah, taking those in turn, I think, first of all, looking at the BOSS Act, as Kerry says, Section 10, which sets out the main reporting requirements, has been expanded pretty significantly. There are really three types of information that get reported under this regime because it also includes the BVI's beneficial ownership reporting regime. There's general entity information, which is held on the on the BOSS system in relation to each corporate and legal entity, as it's called. There is then the beneficial ownership information, which I won't really touch on. But it is important to note that because limited partnerships without legal personality have been added to this regime, they now are also subject to an obligation broadly to report details of their beneficial ownership to their registered agents to be put onto the BOSS system. And that notification has to happen within 15 days of identifying the information or any changes to it, which means that limited partnerships without legal personality, unless they're an exempt person under BOSS that doesn't carry on any relevant activity, should have been reporting on beneficial ownership within 15 days since 1st of January this year. The last type of information under the BOSS is the economic substance information, which is what we're going to discuss today. And apologies in advance for what will be a fairly dry rattle through the new requirements, probably mainly of interest to those dealing with the actual compliance and reporting. But so for financial periods beginning on or after the 1st January 2022 this year, you will have to also report for your entity the business address, where that is different to the registered office address. For each entity, you're going to now need to report the name of any ultimate parent or immediate parent of the entity. And those are broadly defined for immediate parents as entities that directly own 25% or more of the ownership or voting interests in the first entity. And that can be a corporate or non-corporate entity, so partnerships, for example, are also included. And then an ultimate parent is defined as an entity which owns a sufficient interest in the first entity directly or indirectly so that it would be required to prepare consolidated financial statements under accounting principles generally applied in its jurisdiction of residence or would be required if its equity interests, i.e. its shares, were traded on public securities exchange in its jurisdiction of residence and there's no other entity that that meets that, that first definition. And for immediate and ultimate parents, we're now going to have to report details, including any taxpayer identification number or equivalent, and also the jurisdiction in which the um, the immediate or the ultimate parent is formed. 
Taxpayer identification numbers are now actually an area of interest for the ITA generally. Those are also going to be required for beneficial owners so that the ITA and other overseas tax authorities can keep track of whose information is being reported. Turning now to the relevant activity definitions, if you have a pure equity holding entity, which is only carrying on holding business and and not claiming a tax non-residence exemption, the reporting regimes for for those uh, PHEs, as I'll call them, have been greatly expanded. So now you'll need to report the taxpayer identification number, or TIN, if any, type and amount of the gross income in relation to the, the holding business. And then whether or not the activities of the the PE are are passive or active. If they're passive, then a statement is just required that the entity complies with its obligations under the BVO Business Companies Act or the Limited Partnerships Act as as applicable. But if you're dealing with a more active entity, then you're going to need to also report details of qualified employees and details of the appropriate premises involved in the the active uh, management of the underlying equities that the, the entity holds. Also, you're going to have to now report on the total amount of expenditure incurred on the holding business globally and within the BVI, the amount and type of assets and premises held while carrying on the relevant activity, the net book values of any tangible assets held while carrying on the relevant activity, and also the total number of employees of the corporate and legal entity. If you are dealing with IP business, and hopefully there aren't many entities left in the BBI which are which are under the IP business reporting regime, then the reporting regime has been very greatly expanded to include further details, particularly about how the entity can prove compliance, bearing in mind the, the two presumptions against non-compliance for intellectual property business. Those are probably too complicated to go into in this session in any detail. If you have any questions, please feel free to get in, in contact. For all of the other relevant activities other than the two I've mentioned, again, all of that information that I've discussed for pure equity holding entities needs to be disclosed, but you would also need to disclose the total number of employees engaged in the relevant activity generally and within the BVI. And then also details of the board meetings that the entity has held because these relevant activities trigger a direction management requirement. So that includes the total number of the board meetings held generally and in the BVI, the quorum for those board meetings, whether the minutes, the decisions were kept in the BVI and whether the quorum of directors was physically present in the BVI. And then also for each director, their name, qualifications, years of relevant experience and whether or not they're physically present in the BVI. And there are also requirements to disclose details of employees, details of the core income generating activity or the SEGA in in relation to each relevant activity, the addresses of any premises in the BVI which are used for the activity, if you're dealing with IP business, the nature of any equipment, location of the BVI used, and then details of the, the person responsible for direction and management. So you can see from that that it's a very detailed reporting regime and that may well require preparation of special accounts with the company's accountants for the financial period or discussion with the lawyers and accountants before those reports get filed. Kerry, are there any other, any other questions that you're getting from clients that we haven't touched on? I think you mentioned um, Section 11 notice, so what are we, what are we seeing there? Um, so while we're on the topic of Section 11 notices, uh, maybe it's a good time for me to explain what these are. So under Section 11 of the Economic Substance Act, the ITA has broad investigative powers and can request any information it reasonably requires from any person to determine whether an entity is compliant or not. This is what we call a Section 11 notice. As I mentioned, we have seen quite a large number of Section 11 notices. A lot of it is in relation to items which are now going to be required to be disclosed up front or reported up front. Details of board meetings, minutes of board meetings, particulars on the directors, including qualifications, residency, as well as where there has been a disclosure of employees, who those employees are, what their qualifications are, number of years of experience, etc., which are all going to be required. So in my mind, it's just aligning aligning the two, the ITA, you know, 
know, it's now going to be mandatory to, to have that information up front to the ITA. And therefore, I expect the number of Section 11 requests to go down or to maybe go into a lot more detail in relation to the entity's business. From a practical perspective, Josh, I think it's going to be really important for entities to, if, to the extent they haven't already done it, put in place some sort of reporting mechanism or record-keeping mechanism by which they have this information readily available so that, you know, when it comes to the annual reporting for substance, it's not going to be a mammoth task every single year to gather the information. Details on board, meetings, quorum of directors, etc. really should be something that is documented for entities on an annual basis so it's easy for them to access that information to report to the ITA. Yeah, I agree. So just going to the first of those points, so one of the points the ITA discussed in the the presentation was to make clear that they are now going through the compliance assessment stage. We're already seeing that, so they've already looked at periods, financial periods for 2019, and they're now looking at the financial periods that ended in 2020. They have up to six years generally to make a determination of non-compliance. There are some exceptions to that, but that's generally the the time frame they're working within. And essentially what they are doing is looking at a, a company or a limited partnerships declaration asking any further questions that they need to through the statutory section 11 notices, as they're called, and then determining whether the the entity passes, further information is required, or it fails, in which case they would then issue a a notice of of non-compliance to the entity. Kerry, I totally agree with you. Because this reporting is happening on a look-back basis, you know, within six months of the end of the financial period, clients can often lose sight of the fact that this is an ongoing compliance requirement now, which means that they need to monitor their business to figure out have there been any changes, have they started or stopped doing a relevant activity, are they going to be reporting information at the end of the period which shows compliance or may raise question marks with the ITA, and that does mean putting in place some sort of compliance and reporting regime probably on an ongoing basis, unless you're dealing with you know, an entity that doesn't carry on any relevant activity or is just claiming the tax non residence exemption, in which case those are slightly simpler. But so a long session and apologies for some quite technical dry bits, but hopefully that's useful to those clients who are wrestling with this. And as always, we're, we're here to help if anybody has any questions. And we hope to be in contact soon later this year to discuss the additional guidance in rules version three when we see them. Thanks, everybody, for your time today. Yeah, thank you all for listening. Take care. Bye bye.